army here than they. No army here. Army? Army? They're getting prisoners for nothing. That's what they're here for. They're getting paid for nothing. The man I get them back will belong again. The machine gun bullets and all flying up as well. Know what the army's here for? Know what the army's here for? A good team. First thing I noticed was a fist coming through the air. Which at first I thought might have been a reflection on a reflection on the curvature of my visor, you know those curved visors. But um, as it hit the deck, I realised it wasn't. I turned to look, and that's when it went off. There was no time to do anything at all. It must have only been about a two or three second fuse. No time to do anything. It was terrible to see that armoured cars were actually firing on our people, while this, these armed gangsters were coming behind, burning. They were not trying to burn people out. These people are trying to burn people in their homes. We have no future in the Lower Falls, in the Catholic Guide, as it's called. The Everyday Voices of Violence of Belfast, the first recorded in 1969, others in 1970, and The Little Girl in 1971. And now with Christmas approaching, the pattern of violence had little changed. A young mother of four children aged 10, 8, 7 and 11 months talked of a recent experience. Well, I was watching the television and I just heard a thud on the stairs and the next thing the door burst open and it was the soldiers. And they said, are you Betty McKeown? And I says, yes. And they says, get your coat, you're coming with us. And I says, I can't go with you because I says, I have a ten months old child. I says, anyway, what do you want? And I says, we've orders here to check you. And I says, well, I'll go with you. I says, but I'm not going without my child. I'm taking him with me. So I took my child and asked the other children would they go and get a neighbour. And the children tried to get out of the house to go and get somebody, but they, they wouldn't let the children out. And I didn't know until later on yesterday that they'd p actually pinned hard to the balcony, one of them with his knee, to keep her from going for a neighbour. I didn't know this day yesterday evening, but uh, anyway I got my coat, after they'd rummaged about my house, <coughs> I got my coat and my shoes and I'd lifted the baby out of the cot in his night clothes and I bundled them up and I took them in my arms. Well they actually more or less pushed me up my own stairs, me and the baby and out onto the balcony and down the balcony and they more or less pushed me down the stairs as well down the stairs of the flats and uh, they stopped and kept me standing waiting on the stairs for one of them Saracens that they put you in mm. and they put me in the baby <coughs> and we were taking there was a red cap in it and a, a lady I would say I don't know what she is out of the army anyway she was army and they took me to Hasten Street Barracks and they kept me sitting there with the baby for an hour and then the sergeant out of the barracks and another policeman and a policewoman took me to Lisburn Barracks. They kept me sitting there for another hour and then they, I think there must have been special branch or something came to interview me and they just come in and said about my brother-in-law and showed me some papers that they alleged that he took and they said that I knew about them and I just told them I didn't know about them and I didn't know anything about it. And the more or less brought my brother-in-law in then to confront me. I suppose I thought I would have cried or something. But I still did. I did, just didn't know anything about it. And I told them this. And they said that they just wanted uh, the truth. And I said, well, I told you the truth. But they kept me for four more hours with the child crying. 
on my knee and hungry. For he hadn't got anything from six o'clock that night, but I drank a cold milk out of a cup that they gave me in the station for him. And there was four of them questioning me at one time, and then there was two of them, and then there was one, and then the four was at it again. But I didn't know anything and couldn't tell them anything, and there's no better judgment for anybody than the truth. For I just told them that they weren't going to shove their lies down my throat, and that just was all there was about it. Anything more than that I can't say. They asked me then did I want a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, and I said a cup of tea. And they told me to drink up the tea, and when I drank it up, I could go home. And I says, well, if I can go home, I can go home now and get my tea in my own house. And I put the cup down and stood up. And the, well, it, they got their coats then and took me home. And they dropped me about more or less a half a mile down the road there. They wouldn't come up by the, bar, the barracks that they took me out of. And you had the small child in your arms? All yes, with no clothes on, but, you know, just as we nighty thing on. And, of course, I took, had, had my coat, I put, had my coat around him like, and uh, they left me half a mile from my home where they had left me out of that night. And I told them that if they ever wanted to see me again, not to send 60 soldiers to frighten the children out of their wits, that just to send a note now would go to the barracks or to send a policewoman. And I would go. And they just said, get out. Opened the door and just told me to get out of the car, and that was it. So the situation of the night was not alone where you're missing. But your husband is also in town, isn't he? My husband's been in town from the 9th of August. I've just had that report there from the Danish newspaper, as you just seen. Mm-hmm. And I've just told him that my husband isn't a member of any organisation. The only thing that he joined, and he joined it from me, was put into mm-hmm. detention, was the civil rights. And this is all that my husband has ever been in. He's never been a man, had much time for joining anything, for he was always working and trying to make a business for herself, which of course he did and through internment has lost. How have the children been? Well, I've had to move. I had to move in 69. I had to move again after internment for I was being threatened with letters, phone calls, and also by the children in the district, most, most of whom were policemen's sons. And... The last letter I got threatened for to burn the children alive with petrol. And most of this, which I couldn't tell to my husband because I didn't want to worry him, and the worry was all on my own shoulders. And I just couldn't stick it any longer. For by the phone ringing at all hours of the night, the phone calls, people haven't got your address and haven't got your phone, call, phone number out of the book. How is your husband now? Well, he was very worried when he heard it had been lifted free. He didn't know what happened, you know. He was just sickened and worried and wondered what they should want me for. Because I'm never out, out of my own home. I'm always here with my kids. Anybody come at any hour of the day or any hour of the night, and I'd still be here with them children, you know. What sort of Christmas is it going to be for you? Well, it would be very black for us. For last Christmas, I had almost anything I wanted. And that's just the truth of it. And it's Christmas, like, it's not Christmas for us. Like, it's only Christmas, I suppose, for people who has their, their mother and their father, and, or for wives who have their husbands and their children. But as I can see it for Christmas, Mr Faulkner wiped Christmas off our masculine with my husband, and a lot of other husbands too, for by mine and fathers. You're used to very happy Christmases. All my Christmases with my husband were very happy. 
Always. Always very happy. He always seen that me and the children had everything we needed. Always took care of us. Never really worried about anybody but his own family. And this Christmas just not Christmas for me. I know there's a bit of time left between now and Christmas, but why they wouldn't let him home, I don't know, for he never did anything on anybody. Two of her little girls, Una and Eileen, talked with their daddy and of other Christmases when he brought them toys and sweets. This year, they had no father, no Christmas, no hopes. The one little girl, pretty and diminutive, with dark, bright eyes, told me how a soldier had held her at gunpoint, away from her mother. The other just looked. Outside, on the higher stories of the Divis flats, little lads played, bang, bang, you're dead, and an escaping game. In the distance, I heard the unmistakable crackle of gunfire, then a deeper but more distant thud. The boys didn't look up. Bitter as Mrs McKeown's experience is, there are others who have tasted sadness more than once at Christmas time. I've had four Christmases in 1940 and two Christmases in 1956 when the children were young. So this is... This would be the sixth Christmas. What was it like the first few Christmases, the 1940s? Well, they weren't too bad then. I had no children. But in the 56 ones, I had five children. And I had... Just had it rough enough because there wasn't as much cooperation in as there is now. How old were the children at that time? The youngest was two. And the oldest was ten. And how did you cope? What sort of a Christmas did you have? Well, we hadn't a very good Christmas at all because money was scarce along with everything else. And we just had to make the best we could of it. And now he's missing again for this Christmas? And now Christmas. he's gone this Christmas too, yes. You have grandchildren now, have you? I have two, three grandchildren, one a Canadian. Did you expect your husband to be lifted this time? No, no, he's, he's a grandfather now. And never thought they would have taken him. It was as much a surprise to him, I think it was to me. What are you planning to do for Christmas? I haven't really made any plans at all. There's, there's really nothing can sub, substitute the loss of a father or a husband out of a house at Christmas. Do you get out to see People, him? You do? Oh yes, once a week. Mm. How does he seem to you? Well, he's he's just that type of a person that. Just more or less takes what's common. What sort of Christmases do you have normally when he's at home? Oh, very good Christmas because he's a, he's really a home man. You know, he doesn't go out very much. And Christmas, he never goes out. We might go tell some friends on Christmas night, but we never, he never goes out much. You know, just steps in the house. Was he lifted from here? He's lifted out of this house, yeah. What happened? How did it happen? Well, he just came in and... They went round the whole house and they asked, the boy was up the stairs, a boy of 18. They took him down and then they asked the daddy, was he, was he William John McCurry? And he said he was and he so, told him to come with him. So they took the boy too and as the, the neighbours then came out and they gave them a very rough time down in Albert Street Post as they were entering it. One of the soldiers hit him in the head with a baton, and as he turned round, the other one spit in his face. And well, now you can—the baton's bad, but 
spitting in the face is one thing you can never forget him because he's pretty well known all around this district and everyone knows he's not a a person. That would hurt him more. The spitting in his face would hurt him more than actually than the baton did. And how did you feel that time? Felt shocking. Shocking. I thought it was terrible. Like that they should have did that. It was he long in before you were allowed to see him? He was in the full uh, full time. Twenty one days before we got into same in Crumlin Road here and he was telling me they had a pretty rough time in Albert Street as a matter of fact when I did go there his hand was all swollen where they had kept him, his hands tied and they were so tight and he's beefing out size he's big and he sat on the floor from five that n- seven that night to five o'clock the next morning and they weren't allowed to move and the thing cut into his hands and his hand was all swollen when I seen him. And like at his age, it's a bit thick. When I made these recordings in Belfast, it was a wet and gloomy afternoon. The falls, derelict and grey, looked forbidding. The people seemed dispirited, uncaring of the driving rain. A military vehicle pulled up near me. A snatch squad had arrived. I was clapped against a wall and searched. The humiliation and the fear a bitter taste in my mouth. The humiliation of the barely polite question. Your name, your business, what did you carry in your bag? The fear that you too might be lifted, that you too might be taken for at least 48 hours to a destination unknown. The locals look on impassively. You're free to go, he said. Free seems somehow false, empty. When you remember what happened recently to one Francis McCrory, a social worker, a man concerned and very concerned with the lot of internees' wives and what he considers to be their main problem. I think, generally, the materialistic aspect of the whole thing, uh, probably at these times, uh, a husband is normally putting in an extra effort at work and so forth to obtain a few bob one way and the other, you know, to see that the children have new clothing toys and the various things that go up to make Christmas. Uh, I think this is mainly the biggest drawback in having the, the man away, apart from, the, as you say, the loneliness and so forth. Do they come in here too with their problems? They do, they do of course. We deal with every aspect of the uh, internment. We initially try to find out uh, once the man is taken away by the military or special branch or police, We try to establish ipso facto that the man is where he is and what's happening to them. Uh, We go along from there and uh, initially uh, if these people are detained uh, we find that there's always a mix-up in supplementary benefits and so forth like this and so we have an immediate problem materialistically on our hands. On top of this the woman is totally worried that the husband will be without a cigarette or something like this during that period of time. Uh, we take up then the various issues with the supplementary benefits people regarding clothing and so forth for the children in extra needs grants. Uh, unfortunately, these aren't uh, the goat's toe as far as it's concerned. And we have to subsidise and ask the various other societies to, su- to subsidise the the family to just uh, in the initial stages at least for to get them off the ground. 
from then, uh, we normally make uh, a weekly payment, which in no way uh, reflects the need of the family. Whereas you can understand, we're working in limited funds, mm -hmm. and uh, certainly we would like to do a lot more in the materialistic sense for them. No. As far as internment is concerned and being detained, yeah. you've had practical experience of this yourself? I have. Uh, I have just come out after being detained for a fortnight. Uh, this was brought about through uh, probably being prominent in relief work and welfare work, and uh, apparently uh, it doesn't do for one to be a community leader nowadays and assist those in need. Uh, I was accused of probably being... Uh, a very high-ranking officer in the Republican movement. As a matter of fact, OC Brigade staff and head of Northern Command, which is, of course, it's too ridiculous for words. Nevertheless, uh, I was put in, and uh, on the, the flimsiest of pretext, I uh, had to serve a fortnight there. Well, I stayed there, and there was great representation made by the various committees, ecclesiastics and so forth, newspapers and as a result, the pressure was very great indeed, and uh, I was allowed home. And had detention papers, internment papers, been signed for you? Well, detention papers had been issued to me, mm -hmm. and uh, at the interrogation, it was mooted that uh, when the last man came out of Long Cash, I would probably lock the gates behind him. And this was simply because I told the truth about my workings in relief mm -hmm. and welfare, and denied any knowledge of uh, any what was termed as illegal organisations. What was interrogation like? The, inter the interrogation was uh, uh, mental. In my, uh, my case, it was the great mental stress strain put on it. I was termed all sorts of an illegitimate boy, and uh, various uh, suggestions were made to me that on top of being... Uh, a finance officer for the Republican movement, that uh, not only this, but in fact that my own work in relief, in my own work in relief, that I was making a good thing out of it and uh, was in receipt of between £50 and £100 a house for every house I obtained for refugees. And uh, I certainly have worked uh, with uh, or had a hand in 6,000 families from 69 and you know it's just too ridiculous to suggest even on the minimum of 50 pounds per house I would be in the 300,000 pounds bracket and uh, at the moment I'm in receipt, in receipt of sickness benefit my work here is totally voluntary this, everybody's work here is voluntary in this, uh, in this centre How long were you questioned? Uh, for two periods there were two periods of interrogation uh, probably the first time time you uh, when you're being interrogated, time is uh, lost and so forth. You don't keep account of time. But I thought initially uh, probably 35, 45 minutes, and the second period, 35, 45 minutes. And how many were interrogating you? Uh, in the first interrogation, there were two special branch officers, and in the second interrogation, there were three. Obviously, their attitude was aggressive, needless to remark. Oh, well, uh, this is needless to say, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, it was up to me to prove myself innocent rather than they prove me guilty of anything. And uh, the various suggestions that were made to me, I certainly felt that uh, it was all out of uh, context. Uh, 
they did uh, they were very aggressive in their uh, verbal uh, verbally at least you know uh, they didn't do me any physical harm although they promised me that uh, at one stage that they they would throw me in amongst four paratroopers and I don't know what the four paratroopers could have learned more than they had learned from their interrogation I certainly uh, was very truthful at the interrogation uh, I answered in all aspects that uh, I was concerned with welfare and welfare only uh, and in the relief issues I certainly was connected in the sense of the uh, being connected with the internees by looking after the dependents mm. and uh, I simply couldn't see any uh, political association in this it's to my mind humanitarian and it had always been the work of people like myself in Ireland to look after the, the, the dependents of anyone, never mind a political prisoner, if it were a normal criminal prisoner, I certainly would have to give consideration to his dependents. What was it like after the interrogation? What was food and what were conditions like? Uh, well, the food practically is, was inedible. Uh, we provided most of our own food. Our people brought stuff up so that we could uh, I suppose, where was this now? In Crumlin Road. In Crumlin Road. Yeah. Mm. Uh, in Crumlin, my wife uh, made her daily visit. As a, she was allowed two visits a week, but she came up with a parcel with some perishables nearly every day. And, uh, of course, it was much the same. Uh, we divided up there mm. what we had, and it certainly is wrong for anyone to suggest that the, the food in any way was uh, cordon bleu. <laughs> Uh, it certainly, the food probably was good enough, but the cooking of for such immense numbers, and the the quality of the food wasn't uh, uh, very very appetising. Mm. Uh, certainly, you would have had enough to eat if you'd have been able to eat it. How do you see Christmas this year here? Uh, I'm afraid that you know, uh, I view Christmas this year with. Uh, uh, a certain amount of apathy. Uh, I see it in this sense that no one is really uh, thinking of uh, spending a happy Christmas, if you like. Certainly they may spend a holy one in the sense that they'll all be praying for their loved ones and, and most of the people will be praying for peace and the solution to the whole problem. I feel particularly sad for the people who won't be in their own homes at Christmas, obviously. And I think that, you know... The main factor would be, and at least, you know, uh, for the people concerned, that they could have their loved ones home at Christmas. Some prisoners complained of hallucinatory experiences. Did you have this? I did have this hallucinatory experience. Uh, on entering Palace Barracks, uh, obviously your name and so forth and so forth were taken all your details, and then one was placed into a small room. Uh, at the end of this room... There was a, an aero board or pin board, ceiling board. Uh, it was painted white. The whole room was done with this aero board. You were forced to sit up against the far wall, not to look round, uh, not move in any way. After a period of time, uh, a cup of tea was brought. Now, on drinking the tea, uh, I had just taken a small amount of the tea, very small indeed, and uh, I found that my mouth had went very, very dry, and thought there was something wrong with the tea. So I didn't drink any more of the tea. Uh, another, another period of time elapsed, and uh, suddenly uh, something struck me that I was able to impose or superimpose on the, the, the board facing me, or on the wall facing me on these boards, 
uh, a picture of Cinderella, if you like, and Prince Charming, or I could put any uh, nice experience that I'd like to, or any nice picture that I'd like to see on it. On the floor, when I went in, there was a red tile with a white marking. This was, uh, I saw this when I went in. I certainly knew it was a red tile with a white mark. Uh, after having had this uh, experience on the wall, uh, superimposition, I had a look at the floor and I was able to superimpose on the floor uh, one of Monet's famous water paintings. Indeed, I was able to improve on it. And uh, I thought, you know, when I'd done such wonderful work with this painting that uh, I had a beautiful pool, lilies, water lilies flowing uh, all over the place, and it suddenly struck me, where did the pool come from? And in the course of this, I was able to bring a spring to fill the pool. Now, I knew this was hallucinatory. I certainly knew it was hallucinations in my part. A short period of time elapsed, and conveniently the lights fused, uh, and from the walls, uh, uh, as it were, my dead ancestors came, uh, and uh, I was able uh, to see them quite clearly. Although I knew this was an hallucination, I was in control of the situation since I didn't have too much of this tea to drink. Now, I thought this was an experience just that I had shared with uh, myself, but on investigation from some people afterwards, I found that in all the cases that the, this hallucinatory experience. One young fellow was really scared. He was, everyone is a number when they go in, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever the number is. And uh, this poor chappy, the number six severely attacked him, and he was in a, a real state of panic over the situation. You know, it hardly seems like 1971, does it? That mm. sort of treatment. No, uh, it, ref it brings us back to the medieval times. Uh, on reflection, one would think that Cromwell didn't even use this type of thing, you know. Uh, it would have been too much firm to use. The, the physical attribute was, uh, to their mind, the, the climax of the thing. But when we look at this, if this had a lasting effect, uh, certainly in remembering people could suffer from nervous debility for years to come. Has this affected you since, no? I, I certainly uh, have been uh, in a state of nerves, obviously from... Uh, coming out. I'm always waiting on these people coming back sort of style. Uh, one never seems to be uh, on his own sort of style. They can't, uh, with any confidence, sit and say they'll not be back. Up to now we've heard from people who've been on the outside during Christmas. But now we talk with Liam McRachten, who spent several Christmases in internment. How many, Liam? Oh, uh, six uh, Christmases altogether, uh, Donacha, and uh, I, I suppose, listening to what I had heard there just immediately, it must, uh, I'm sure, come as a surprise to people to a certain extent that we really enjoyed Christmas because it was the only part uh, of the whole year where we seemed to all come together in a, in a, in a friendly, in a cam spirit of camaraderie, and uh, get down to making the best of a Christmas that we could. We tried to have a party if we could, we tried to have concerts, and by and large, the, 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 the atmosphere of prison life was, uh, if one could say it was good enough then, because there was this uh, getting together of everyone, and uh, we all expected a, cer a certain kind of a special parcel at that particular time. Cards were coming in, and possibly uh, those of us who lived in Belfast, we could see our people coming to visit us and things like this. So therefore, by 
and large, Christmas in itself uh, was a time that we really looked forward to. The best part of the year, in fact, was Christmas. Although I have to go back for a moment or two to the first Christmas that I was in. This was in uh, prison, in, in prison um, Derry, Derry Prison, which is no longer uh, standing now. It's uh, pulled down. Now, this would, I would say, be the one of the worst Christmases because we mutinied that particular Christmas and... Uh, uh, arising out of that, uh, there was quite a lot of uh, brutality and everything else. So that wasn't a very, very enjoyable Christmas. Naturally, we knew uh, what the circumstances would be if we mutinied, and uh, uh, we also discovered that uh, what actual brutality was from the inside. Uh, this was our first taste of it. I suppose it was a wrong thing, mutinying in prison, because one has very, very few weapons at one's disposal. Uh, if you are violent in prison, you can be sure that you'll be met with at least ten times greater violence. So it's really silliness, really, to 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 get down to a thing like this. What did you actually do? Uh, in the uh, during the mutiny, you mean? Well, no. The, the only thing is, we decided it's a rather a long story, but I'll try and be as concise as possible. We decided that it was time to make a protest against our conditions, etc., etc., and we locked ourselves in one. We just barricaded ourselves in more than anything else for a, for a considerable period, and. Uh, uh, we sang songs and had jokes and one thing and another, read the proclamation of the Republic to the people down on the street. And, uh, of course, we knew, uh, finally, that uh, the authorities would be able to uh, get at us. And uh, But we didn't realise uh, that the brutality would have been as, as much as it was then, or really so hard. Uh, actually, it was barbaric to a certain extent. Some of the men, uh, along with us, uh, who have died since... I believe that their, their their deaths were a result of the treatment, the ill treatment given to them that first Christmas of 1939. One other Christmas which I do remember and which I did not like very well was spent on the prison ship Al Rada in Strangford Loch. Uh, the prison ship was a very uncomfortable hulk and uh, too small really for the crowd who were on board and uh, more or less like Long Cash at the moment, there were too many men huddled together in one particular place. Uh, and therefore, there wasn't just the same friendly atmosphere as there would be, say, in, in, in Crumlin Road later on, although it uh, may seem ironic to say friendly atmosphere in prison. Uh, the conditions on board the prison ship were really horrible, as I said before. We were, we were too closely uh, situated together. The food itself was uh, abominable also because uh, had we been allowed to prepare our own food or cook it, I suppose we'd have made a better job of it. But it was uh, cooked just uh, scun scan, and I don't think that anyone was very much enamoured of it and uh, we, 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 we uh, to a certain extent we felt as if we were going to have another mutiny but then eventually we were only spent nine months in that prison ship there was too big an outcry about it and we were taken back to Crumlin To take you back to that Christmas in 39 you mentioned earlier what were you actually doing on Christmas Day 1939? Uh, I don't th I think the memories of that are very very vague we, we already had planned that we would uh, that we would have this mutiny, you see. So uh, what I was doing, in fact, uh, I was, um, I got up, we, we, we went to, to Mass, and uh, we sorted out whatever food parcels and Christmas cards, etc., that had come. And uh, I think we, we knew, we were apprehensive of what would happen, so therefore the enjoyment, actually, and the partaking of any food, good food, uh, I, I think, took second place, because uh, we knew what was going to happen. We knew that we were going to mutiny. We, st we did not know that we would suffer so much brutality, this is true. Uh, but on that particular day, I suppose, uh, uh, that, that being the first Christmas in prison, my, my thoughts naturally went out to the, my people at home, to how they were. I knew fine well that they would be worried about me. Uh, 
naturally, there's only a natural thing to be doing. I, I began to think of my brothers and sisters, what kind of Christmas, Christmas they would be enjoying. Uh, I, I was hoping that they would forget that I was uh, away from them altogether. I could not get over the fact, of course, that my mother would be thinking mostly about me and my father also, and that their thoughts would be directed towards me, just as my thoughts were directed towards them. And I think this was uppermost in my mind. I, I believe that, uh, that I actually prayed along uh, a lot that particular morning that things would go well with us and that uh, my people at home would have a happy time and wouldn't be too much worried about me. I think that was the f main thing that was uppermost in my mind that particular day. But uh, this didn't last very long because we were too keyed up with what was to come, Donica, you know. Um, Liam, you said that normally you looked forward to Christmases and now the men in Long Kesh are planning a hunger strike for yes, Christmas Day. Yes, they obviously yes. are not looking forward. I, uh, can yes. you understand their mood? Well, I can understand their mood because I had a hunger strike myself at one particular time and uh, uh, to people who have never been on a hunger strike, it's something they can look forward to and hope to take part in. Uh, I'm going to say now, bluntly and plainly, that I never would take part in another hunger strike again because it is um, a really uh, crushing episode in one's life. Uh, the, the, the situation involved in the hunger strike isn't just the idea of taking part in it because uh, you, you, you must, to a certain extent, compose yourself, just the same as if you were going to face a firing squad. If they're not going to have a hunger strike for something really, really important, I would make, make the suggestion now that to have a hunger strike for something childish is, is, is really silly. Nevertheless, they, uh, they are different to what we were. They have got worldwide attention focused on their case, you see, and the world is looking at Long Cash and at Crumlin. As we were uh, in Crumlin Road and uh, during the war years, I, I would safely say that we were a legion of forgotten men. Uh, there, there, there was nothing happening outside except a war, which was a bitter one being fought on the continent. Uh, pe people who came to visit us, uh, we had hoped, to, we hoped uh, that they would be able to give us good stories. But nothing was happening. Happening. We had no hope. We did not know when the internment or anything would be over, but we knew that we'd be there until uh, the war ended at least, and I suppose a few of us were praying for a speedy end to the war. But uh, I can understand these men who are going on hunger strike and long cash on Christmas Day. I can understand their motives. Uh, I at the same time feel very, very deeply for, for, for them because I understand what a hunger strike is myself, and it can be a very, very painful, painful experience. How long were you on hunger strike? Uh, roughly about 28 days. And uh, in, uh, that possibly, in comparison to great men like McSweeney and everything else, is really nothing, and it's nothing to be boasting about. But it does leave a mark on one uh, which is difficult to erase. There is this... Uh, thing in your mind all the time, you see. It's not so much possibly the physical torture of hunger pains that are continually wrecking your body. It is the fact that you are closed in there and uh, you're at the whim of the authorities. Uh, they would come on possibly and give you food and the aroma of food comes up to your, uh, through your nostrils and you dare not partake of this if you're sincere about it. So therefore the temptations are great and uh, uh, this, this, this is where a man would be very, very easily broken. A spirit could be easily broken in a case like this here. So they must be very, very careful uh, in long cash in the manner they approach this particular thing that uh, they, 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 they must be reassured of that, that they will not break under any conditions whatsoever because if one man breaks, well, uh, this is the beginning of the end of things. You talked, or at least Francis McRory talked to me earlier, you heard him there, yes. of hallucinatory experiences. Yes. Did you have any of those during the hunger strike? Oh, yes, during the hunger strike. This, been after 14 or 15 days, uh, my mind was always filled, of course, with visions of, of food uh, of, of every kind, uh, even, even food that no one would eat. This is true. Um, 
and hallucinations naturally come in front of your mind all the time. You could imagine that the rest of the lads would be sitting down, say, at half past four to an evening meal, although it may not have been very uh, entertaining still. Uh, to have that at that particular time would have been heaven to me. And uh, hallucinations are the, uh, in this particular case, I suppose, were more or less prompted by the fact that one's mind begins to wander after a period and it wasn't brought on by any physical beating or disorientation. It was brought on by the fact that we'd been out without food, that we'd been in a weak physical condition and lying in bed all the time, of course, because you weren't strong enough to get up. So I suppose this leads on to real a, a deep sense of uh, hallucination, which is continually there. And whenever you, 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 you fall into a semi-comatose state, this is the time that it visits you worse more than anything else. Liam McCrachton, this Christmas there will not be much of an exchange of Christmas greetings between the Shankill and the Falls. There will be none, in fact, to be realistic about it. When you were young in Belfast and in the happier Christmases, was it different? Oh yes, I would say it was. Uh, nevertheless, we have still to con- still to think that there was always this. There was always a certain fear, of course, of of, of force. Uh, but I think that this was put aside, particularly at the beginning of the thirties and the hungry thirties. People had a better understanding of each other. Uh, there was a time whenever the Falls and the Shankill could get together and, and do an awful lot for each other. There, there was there wasn't the same amount of bitterness then whatsoever. And in fact, we know we know uh, in those years that there was a hunger, a kind of a hunger march, even with the, with the people from the Falls and people from the Shankill uh, together. But the Christmases then were, I would say, a little a little happier. Although there was an awful lot less cash and and gifts and food for that matter and the good clothing going around, but there was a, a bigger supply of friendship around. Uh, it is sad nowadays to, to think that uh, there is a peace line, a so-called peace line between both these communities. Uh, I, I don't think that I could call this a peace line. I could only call it a relic of hatred or something. Uh, that, that, that is my name for it. Uh, it'll be a long time, I'm sure, before this friendly spirit of the hungry 30s is ever visited again, either on Falls or in, in, in Shankill, where both these crowds can get together and, and be happy as, as they were in those days. But as Liam McRachton said there, that peace is very, very far away, and always Longkesh looms in the background. Minibuses ferry to and fro from the CDC offices in the Falls Road. Wives, mothers and children crowd in, bearing their little gifts of apples, sweets and books. The older women seem the most upset. They've been through it all before. The young ones, well, it's still a first time. And the children, lonely and forlorn, wait impatiently for their outing. The conversation is bitter. I'm dropped to the shop, shots at half eleven, and it was missing for two days. Um, I'm still waiting on the milk, by the way. Uh, taken to Hollywood Barracks, badly abused, then sent to Crumlin Road for about four weeks, and then taken to Long Cash. Now, when you say badly abused, did he show the signs of it? Yes, and doctor certificate to say that he's badly bruised. Do you have a family? You do? Yes, one. Yeah. Now, what are you doing for Christmas this year? I've no idea. A very miserable Christmas is going to be because there's no visits on Christmas. Yeah, but After lifting my husband, they have his mother tortured for the rest of the family. She's a big family of boys. They came for one, couldn't get that one, and lifted another one. She's 17 years of age. You're, you're, you're this boy's mother? I'm his yes. mother, yes. Now, tell me what's been happening to you. And they hadn't even his name on the, the form when they came to lift him. They had to go out to ask the major, could they take him away? It's 17, he's only 17 a few weeks ago, and they had him in Crumlin Road Jail now at the minute. 
Have they been raiding your house? Yes, they're six six year old. The school boys? Yes, and my 14 year old boy, a school boy too. Took it to him away at the quarter to six in the morning and they've kept the oil at 17. He's still in Crumlin. And he's not in no organisation? No organisation at all. Do you, get, do you get to see the lad in long case? You do? Or I do get to do. see the lad in long case. What sort of case. Christmas will you have? A very poor one. But, uh, a happier one Faulkner than the soldiers. And, yeah. and I hope Faulkner doesn't have a very happy one. There's uh, people back here. Now, ma'am, have you got somebody in long case? Yes, my husband's in long case. Yeah, how long has he been there? He's been there about four weeks. He's five weeks left it all together. First, they came in at four o'clock in the morning and they took him out of the house. They told me nothing, just said to me if I wanted to find out about his whereabouts, I could go to Houston Street Barracks or Springfield Road, which I did do, and I got no satisfaction. I knew nothing until they sent out telegrams that he'd been, you know, this thing, detention papers, that he was in the Crumlin Road prison under detention. And this man was working and, up at, and out of his work every day up until this happened. And then when I go down to apply for assistance, they hand me £7.11, which I think is a disgrace. And after all, I think it's, it's a terrible thing that the women should have to suffer as well as their men in long cash. When Christmas comes, I don't know where I'll be because I don't think I'll, I'll honestly stay here. I couldn't with my husband away. Times are very bad for you. Yes, they're terrible. My nerves are wrecked. They came back on the Saturday night after I took him looking for him. And I ran over to my mother-in-law's in a terrible state, crying my eyes that I couldn't even tell her what had happened. Because I thought they took him away and shot him and were letting on it released him, you know. I honestly did. I went into hysterics. I couldn't even get over the road home to my mother-in-law's. But his brother as well was taken at that morning too. They took him at four o'clock and they took his brother to quarter past four. And he was, he was badly abused also. What do you think will be the end Hollywood. of all this? I think in the end that the women of Ireland will rise up against this. Like sooner or later, yeah, it'll have to happen. Because they can't turn everybody. They can't put everybody behind bars. The only thing is that they'll have to give the people what they want. And if they don't, they're going to fight for it. And they'll die for it. There's one thing. The boys are 14 years of age when they had them down in, in uh, Musgrave barracks. They wanted to know that they want a good drink of Provis and lemonade. Boys are 14 or did they want to join the Orange Order? And all things the two, and stole bonds years ago. And when they catch him playing football on the street, they would give him a couple of years along with the man in Long Cash. Are you going to Long Cash now, you are? Yes, I'm going to see my son-in-law. My yes. Husband. Your husband? No, her husband. Well, my him. husband was arrested on the 7th of September at 4 o'clock in the morning. And I didn't know of his whereabouts till that Friday. And they tried to say through petrol bombs on August the 13th, 1969. He was then at sea. He didn't get back to, after all the troubles of 1969 were over. So he said he could prove he wasn't here. They said that didn't matter. They would find something against him. So he doesn't know yet what they found against him. What's it like for you? It's terrible. I have four children. And the soldiers are intimidating me too. Burst their door in. And burst my door and dragged my seven-year-old son off a settee and questioned him. He was laying sick with asthma. What sort of Christmas will you have? Terrible. What's your story, ma'am? Um, well, my husband was lifted with me on a Saturday night. Lifted with you? He was with me and they took him away. They just stopped and just took him away. And um, after nine days... They told me where he was. They had him for nine days with a hood over his head. He got nothing to eat, nothing to drink for nine days. 
and then after that they, they produced him and become a president. He's had um, psychiatrists and the same and different doctors, you know, and I have everything to prove, you know, what the, the dead term, you know, the beatings. Yes. How often do you get out to see him? Once a week. And what does he talk to you about when you go out? Well, if we bring the, the children, I have three young children under three, and when you bring them in on a visit, you can't really get talked about anything, so you have to leave them one week and go yourself, you know, and then it's only then you can really get talking, you know, but a half an hour is not, nothing, you know, once you go in. Because you find when you go in, you, you, you can't think of nothing to say. You, you've it all built up what you're going to say, and then your mind goes blank, you know, and the next thing they're up in the window for you. And you're searched you know? going in, are you? Oh, yes, and the children are searched as well. And if, you, if they, they can abuse you, you know, like there's some of them and they're not so bad, but there's some of them and they're really cheeky, you know, they'll pull your handbag off you and empty all the things out. And if you say one word to them, they will tell you that they're getting your visit stopped. And people are so, they want to see their husbands and their friends so much that they don't want to, you know, they would do anything. And it means that they're intimidating you because, you know, you won't, they won't, you won't give them back cheek or anything, you know. It's a terrible situation, you know, that they can't bully you so much. What's it like for you at home now? Well, it's, it's you just exist, you know. You, you, because you've children, you have to keep a normal day going, you know, but it's not really a home for you. Once the kids are in bed, what have you to do? You just sit there all night, you know, write letters, or you write every night, like I do. I write every night. And, but after that, you know, there's nothing to do. The children are, are quite young, are they? They are, yes. Yeah, three, two and one. Do they understand anything of what's happened? Well, they know their, their daddy's in Long Cash because their grandfather's in Long Cash as well, and my brother as well. And uh, they the say he's in hospital, but they know they're going to Long Cash. They know he's in jail. You know, and the, the, now my eldest is only three, but she, she, you know she understands that it's the soldiers who took him away, and he has done nothing. You know, and like you can even if you want to hear them and saying things about the soldiers now, I don't agree with the kids. You know, going out and fighting them or anything, but it's in those kids that they know what's going on. You know, what sort of Christmas had you planned for them? Well, we always because with young children, we always have a good Christmas. You know, but. Um, I'll have to make it as, as good as I can for the kids, but for me it'll not be a Christmas at all, you know. Uh, you're going to Long Cash too, ma'am? Yes. Who have you out in Long Cash? A son and a son-in-law. My son was left it on the 9th of August, and I didn't hear about him until that Friday. He'd been taken till Garwood, and from Garwood then till... Crumlin Road. He doesn't talk about it. I don't know what happened to him. What are conditions like where you live now? Do you have the troops still coming around? Yes. I was insulted on Saturday night. I was coming out of my own house and one of them said to me, good evening. A cause of walked past me, pulled me back and told me I would have to answer what he said and had bad manners. And I told him, if I said good evening to him now, he'd be back in a half an hour to put my door in. He told me he would be back anyway at three o'clock in the morning. And I lost my head. And I told him... Don't say what you told me. <laughs> say it, Mrs. Campbell, say it. One of them on the far side shouted, go on home, Granny. 
I says, no, great granny. And I am home. Go you home. He says, you'll have us for four months. I says, are you sure you'll be here in four months? What will Christmas be like for you? Well, I'm not thinking of Christmas at all. I forgot all about Christmas. You had good Christmases before? Yes, all my life. All my life. Christmas, only for the young children, that's all. Who have you got in Long Cash? My brother and my brother-in-law are in Long Cash. How did they seem to you? Well, I've only got up once to see my brother. I haven't seen my brother-in-law yet. The people obviously feel very badly around here. Um, well, down, down around the falls, they're getting it very, very hard. They're, they're never let alone for a minute. The soldiers are never out of the district. And they're just going around abusing yeah. men, women and young children. They never leave them alone. The and you don't... Go in and close your door. And if you go in and close your door... Put your door in. Put your door in. Put your door in. I have three brothers in Long Cash. Three brothers. Two, one of them's 29 and the other one's 20 and the other one's 17. And they're torturing my mother for the other wee one. The youngest brother. In what way are they torturing her? They're breaking into their house every night at four o'clock. They also abused our young sister, They're fifteen. Fifteen years of age. And they nearly pulled her arm out of arms her stomach, twisting her arms round her back. Told her to be back for when the women came out, when the internment came out for women. Be back. Fifteen far. year old. My mother was in Australia and came home to no furniture in her house. They dragged everything in her house. He never talks about it, you know. Although you can tell, you know that. He wouldn't complain. He's afraid of worrying me about everything that's happened to him. You have little children, have you? I have one child, and it's a very lonely, very lonely life without a husband in the house. What about Christmas? Oh, well, I not have a Christmas at all. Like, there's really no, no Christmas for me with one, just one child myself at home. Like, there's not. Well, I was very lucky. My husband was left out in September, a week before my baby was born. And I'm very bad with my nerves. And when I went up for them, when I went up to see where he was, he, they told me it was none of my business where he was. He was left to come out of his work. He was left to come, and I says, well, I'm expecting a baby. And if anything happens to my baby, my mother-in-law will tell you. Here's me, I'll take you to the house court in Earthbar. He told me to go home and make my own business. And these were all Belfast people, preparing in one way or another for a Christmas. Hardly a happy Christmas, but at least... A Christmas with the forlorn hope that by this time next year something may have happened. Someone may have prized open the massive door that leads to happiness. Belfast is now slowly coming awake. Fires are being lit in little tiny back streets. People are hurrying to or from church. Small children are opening their Christmas parcels. Everything seems normal. But it isn't. For these, no matter which side they're on, are beleaguered people, lonely people, isolated people, cut off from one another by ideologies and traditions, and cut off from the 26 counties their natural counterpart by an armour-plated border. The centre of Belfast, much of it devastated, is deserted, apart from the ferrets and armoured cars noising their way along. The side slits in the vehicles are filled by venomous killing weapons. Peace by force of arms... Goodwill, sometime by the will of God. Wives, sweethearts, mothers are hardest hit at this season. Vacant chairs are everywhere, and in lulls of conversation, memories of other Christmases with their separated loved ones come crowding in. 
it's not a happy Christmas in Belfast. Here in Dublin, it's different. Mass bells ring out their message of peace and goodwill, motor cars hurrying people home to breakfast and to the good cheer that is all part of this happy season. Fathers and mothers are joined in watching their children opening their Christmas gifts. Santa Claus has been busy down here. So this morning, we spare a thought for those who are beleaguered, alone, lonely, a people without friends. We join them wherever they are, wherever they are listening, and wish them hope and courage and what Terence McSweeney cherished the most, endurance. And then, Nolig fe heans fe washi y villig, is gymed ymid bo eganom serish. What's your name, Jenny? Jennifer. Where's your daddy? Your daddy in the hospital? And where's your granda? Where's your granda? And what do you sing for your daddy? My granddad's in the hospital. Your granddad's in the hospital? Two. Two. Will you sing? Sing for your daddy. Come what on. do you say? Two. Go on. Sing for your daddy. Jenna. She doesn't know it. Don't know it. And what are you getting for Christmas? What? A dolly and a pram. And what's your daddy buying you? A pram. And what's he making you? What's he making you? A wheeler bag. A wheeler bag? Now sing three the people for your daddy. Three people. Let them have the same. Three people. Then see the light of we are the people, and we shall overcome. Free the people, 